uh, called Created for a Purpose. And um, I'm really excited about the series just because I think sometimes we can we can sit here and listen to sermons and stuff and we just don't really quite know what that means for us personally. Like it, we, you know, we learn truths, we, we learn more about God and that's all extremely valuable. But I think this is a very practical series where we kind of get to put uh, rubber to the road a little bit for us and just apply practical ways um, from scripture, how our lives have purpose. And I, I think what we, what we see is that as we move through our lives, we do see purpose taking shape. Right? Our actions, our passions, our discontents, they all point us, if we look at them, to a purpose. And as Christians, when we are shaped by God's truth and character, our purposes begin to mold into God's purposes. It's pretty amazing. You know, we see it all the time. You know, people begin to get passionate about certain kinds of ministries or justice issues that God brings before them. Um, Those passions weren't always there sometimes, uh, but God, through ministering to our hearts, um, shaping us to be the men and women that uh, of Christ that will take the hope of the of the world, the gospel, into the world, and specifically into certain places um, in our lives. I I think what we find is um, that we're created for a purpose. And through God's word, we begin to see glimpses of what some of those purposes are, right? And we're going to take a look at one of those purposes specifically that I believe that when we look at scripture, it's impossible to miss, okay? Let's start off with some prayer. Father God, we just thank you for just who you are. Father, when we uh, just go through our lives, just the craziness with the, the curveballs that are thrown at us, with uh, just all the change that takes place, Father, you are constant, um, and you are good. So Father, may you just impart on us just some of your truth um, that brings freedom to our lives. Father, may we just find some purpose that you've created us for. And may we be bold in living that out. And Father, may your will be done through each and every one of our lives. Father, just you be glorified tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so have you ever noticed how, um, how we and our lives are defined by our habits? I have really, this has really just caught my attention lately. I'll start off with kind of a funny story. I think it's funny because it's my wife. Um, but uh, I told her I was telling the story. It's not that embarrassing. But we were, uh, we were downtown here, um, I don't know, it was a week or two ago. And on her iPhone, like when you're used to going from like one place to another, it'll like pop up and tell you how long it'll take you to get there based upon the traffic. And so it's kind of funny what that reveals to you, like the places you typically go. And I, I don't know if she was down here at the exchange, but she was leaving and on her phone it popped up. It said like nine minutes to get to Target. Okay. So right away it's like, okay, she makes that trip from the exchange to Target a lot. So it kind of ex- defines her life a little bit that she really likes Target. Okay. Um, and I just, I found that to be really funny when she told me that. Um, and it's, it's not just that. It's in so many things and it's not even in humans. Like I, I see it in, this is, silly, but I see it in my dog. <laughs> like my, my dog, I have a black lab. His name's Turk. And Turk has a routine every single day, right? Like it, it's so funny in the morning he gets up and like, um, you know, bugs me and wakes me up. But you know, like if I'm trying to get ready and put my shoes on, he brings his toys to me cause he knows I'm leaving. Um, you know, and when he, after he eats, he like comes out and I call this happy dance. He like gets on his back and starts rolling around. It's a, you know, um, you guys probably know what I'm talking about if you have dogs. And then at night, it's the same thing. Like when we're going to bed, every single night he goes and lays 
by my wife's side of the bed for like five, ten minutes until she, he thinks she's going to sleep. Then he goes to his kennel for like two minutes, and then he comes and bugs me. So it's like the same thing every single day. And it's like you see this routine that takes place. And I'm like, his life is kind of defined by that. That's just like, that's how he lives his life. Um, but it's amazing how, how habits shape our lives, Right? And humans are such habitual creatures, all right? It's not just dogs, it's humans, right? We have the same morning routines. We have the same weekly schedules. We have the, the, the same things that we tend to do with like our friends and our family for fun or for holidays or things like that, right? And I'm not saying this is bad by any means, right? I'm just saying that it is. And because it is, our lives are oftentimes defined by our habits. And, and what you make habits of in your life will lead to defining the story of your life. Right? What you make habits of in your life will lead to defining the story of your life. And I try to think of other examples of that, of that in humans, like in natural uh, behaviors that we typically do in our culture. And I, th- I thought of people that exercise a lot, right? I mean, the, their lives kind of revolve around that. Like they get up at a certain time each day or they, after work, they plan out like a big chunk of their time to go to, to work out. Uh, um, their, their dietary things work revolve around that, the way they train, things like that. Like their lives are really defined by that, um, by those exercise habits. Maybe it's money habits, you know, whether good or bad, right? Like if, you, if you're really good about saving money or spending wisely, then you're Life will kind of reflect that, but if on the other end, if you're really poor with your money and uh, you know and how you spend your money and you're not wise with it, then your life's going to be de- de- defined by those type of habits as well. Um, I remember back to like being in college or in, in school, and study habits were huge. I could tell you which which of my friends had good study habits and which didn't, and just look at which ones were having to retake the classes, right? But you know, we have study habits, and it's not even in school. Just beyond that, how you know whether we're getting into God's Word or whatever, we 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 create habits, and our lives uh, begin to be um, defined by those food habits, right? Anybody like have the same? Oh you know, for seven days out of the week, maybe the same like 10 to 12 meals that you cook for like the same, like all seven days. It's very typical. Like we we tend to eat the same foods. Like for breakfast, it's like either you have toast or cereal every single day. I have an uncle for this, every day for the last like 40 years of his life. He's gotten up at, he's a trucker, so he gets up early every single day and he fries up two eggs and he has a piece of dry toast. Every single day for like 40 years, that's what he's done. I'm like, that is boring. But we have habits with our food, right? Uh, coffee habits, anybody? Yeah, coffee habits. Uh, <laughs> our, our lives oftentimes revolve around coffee if that's in your life. But the list goes on and on and on. But something I want you to look at or, and just to think about is that if we're, if we're followers of Christ, a people striving to be more like Jesus, to grow in maturity in Christ and to seek righteousness, then shouldn't we also strive to have habits that are biblical? Shouldn't we desire and seek out habits that define us in biblical ways? Shouldn't that be what we really want to be defined by? I think it is, guys, or at least it should be for all of us. Um, And Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, 23 and 24, he says this, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. It seems pretty obvious to me that we are to hear God's words and, and let them transform our hearts, our minds, and our habits. Now, I just want to clarify a few things before we go on. First of all, I'm not saying that all of your habits are bad, 
or, or to get rid of all of them just because you don't find it in Scripture. Like, oh, Scripture doesn't say to, that I should have two eggs every morning, right? That's not what I'm saying. We're called to live this life to the full, which comes through Christ. And a big part of that is the fellowship that we have and the uniqueness that we have in our lives. So while I highly encourage us to develop biblical habits into our lives, don't stop being who God created you to be either. Right? Embrace those quirks that God created you with and find ways to implement biblical truths into those areas. The other thing I want to clarify just as we're moving through tonight is that I'm not going to give you a long list of biblical habits to absorb into your life tonight, all right? In fact, I'm just going to choose one. Uh, we're just going to talk about one, but it's a big one. And, and it's life-changing. And not, not just for you. It's not just life-changing for you, but for all of humanity as we know it. That's how important this one is, okay? Uh, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, this one habit that I want to focus on comes from the, a, a very well-known passage of Scripture, and it's the one that we call the Great Commission. It's from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came to them and, he's, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I just want to take a look at this for, for a second, okay? This is after Jesus had died and resurrected. He had proven to be who he claimed to be. And so he was speaking with absolute authority from God himself, okay? So when God himself is commanding you to do something, we should take it seriously, right? And so the first word that he says here, after he establishes who he is, is go. All right? This invokes the need to get up and move and do something. And it lets us know that this is a command, not a suggestion, Right? It isn't a, if you get around to it type of thing. Right? If you're a follower of Christ, you're commanded to go. And what we're commanded to go, and to, uh, what we are commanded to go and do, is that Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations. He does, then gives some specifics with that discipleship. Uh, discipleship, there we go. Uh, we're called to baptize, we're called to teach them, but not just to teach, we're called to teach them so that they obey what they are being taught. Right? And, and, and what we are called to teach them, it's pretty simple, you know, no big deal. Just words of Jesus, all that I have commanded you, Jesus says, okay, no big deal. That's, that's just a little bit, right? But no, it's a lot. Jesus says, teach them everything I've taught you guys and, and teach them in a way that they're going to follow it. They're going to live that out in their own lives. But do you see that this is something that as Christians we're not just encouraged to do, but we're expected to do? Right? It doesn't mean that if we don't do this, God loves us less, okay? I'm not saying that. But I feel like we also can use that excuse to get us out of, the, out of truths in our lives that God's calling us to, be, to obey. And I believe that this one is definitely not a truth that we can avoid when reading Scripture and obeying what it's commanding us to do. Because as Christians, we are called to obedience, right? So I just want to stop for a second and define a couple of things. Okay, we're called to go and make disciples. This is kind of church talk. I understand that, okay? So what is a disciple? Okay, when I say that, when you read that in scripture, what does that mean? What's it mean to go make a disciple? What is that disciple? Um, we kind of need to know that if we're going to go forward and, and make those disciples, all right? And I remember discovering this in my own life. I, you know, I'd accepted Jesus, but I, I really didn't know where to go from there. And I didn't know what it meant to be a disciple necessarily. So uh, just over the years, I, I've been on a journey of discovering over time, you know, what, 
uh, Scripture says a, a disciple is. And I found a few things that I, f- I feel that really defined, defines what a, uh, a disciple is. Now, this could be expanded so much, guys. This, I could talk about this for, we could do a gigantic series on what it means to be a, a disciple. So it's not an exo- exhaustive definition, de- sorry, definition of a disciple, but what it is, I, I think these are a few core elements that I believe makes up the heart of what it means to be a disciple. So here, here they are. I'm going to give you two. Okay, they're pretty, pretty straightforward. The first one, follow Jesus. Okay, a disciple follows Jesus. I discovered that if we want to be a disciple, we need to really start to follow Jesus in our lives. And this is an action, okay? It's more than just believing. Jesus said in Luke 9, uh, 23 through 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Okay, this is an active action. One where we are leaving the things of this world behind and we are choosing the things of Christ, whatever that means in your life. Okay, and it's more than just believing he is who he says he is. Okay, scripture tells us that even demons believe that. Okay, it's not just saying, Jesus, I believe who you are, but it's letting that belief transform your life and lead you to action, to deny yourself and to sacrifice our flesh for the things of the spirit, for the things that God is calling us to. This means that we're called to try and learn to live like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And this may be easy in some areas, right? We, we can learn to love and serve others like Jesus without too many complications, okay? But there are also er- other areas of our life where it might be harder to give over to him in obedience, right? Maybe it's your friends or, or your marriages or your relationships or, or your desire to fit in with your peers no matter what the cost. Maybe it's, a, um, it's what you find your enjoyment and pleasure from. Maybe it's a, a certain sin that you need to repent from. Jesus is calling us to follow him in all areas of our lives. And I promise you, when he does this, you're not settling for something less when you do it. Okay? You're not missing out because you chose to follow Jesus in a certain area in your life instead of what the world tells you. Okay? In fact, Jesus will transform your heart so that you will find satisfaction through him in ways that you can never find in the world. Psalm 37.4 says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This means that when you choose to be a follower of Jesus and you trust him with all areas of your life, he will give you new desires, ones that will satisfy you more than you can ever imagine. He isn't trying to control you, to keep you from having fun or enjoying life. He's not holding out on you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus calls us as disciples to follow him so that we don't have to experience the pain and suffering of where sin will ultimately lead us. He wants what's best for us. He wants us to have life to the full. And that's what it means. That's what we get when we follow Jesus in our lives. The second thing I just want, I want to look at about what it means to be a disciple is this. It's abide in Jesus and his truth. Follow Jesus and abide in Jesus and his truth. John 8, 31 through 32 says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Definition's right there, right? If you caught that, Jesus says that if you abide in his word, you will be his disciples. He equates abiding with discipleship. If you abide, you are a disciple. Okay, abiding means to live according to, accepting it fully, and living in accordance to such an acceptance. Okay, another way to look at that is that being obedient to his truth, is being obedient to his truths in our lives. 
Jesus says that to be his disciple, we must do this, and there really isn't any wiggle room around it, okay? So disciples are those who follow and those who abide. Those who follow Jesus and those who abide in Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. So if we're called to go and to make disciples, that means we're called to lead people into a relationship with Christ where they are following him in their lives, where they are following and they are abiding. Okay, where they're following him in their lives and they're abiding to his truths and they're living them out as such. Okay, the funny thing about this is, is that if we're abiding, then a part of abiding is going and making disciples. Okay, making disciples is part of what we are called to do and be, and therefore it is a part of our very definition as a disciple of Jesus. Guys, disciples make other disciples. Okay, it's part of what they are. A disciple is a discipler. Okay, if they aren't, then they aren't, they aren't fully abiding in Christ's words and truths. So when looking at our habits that define us, the things in our life that we do over and over that define us, one of our habits that we should have in our own lives is the habit of making disciples because it's a part of our identity and the purpose that Jesus maps out for us in Scripture. It's part of what we are created for, that purpose we're created for. Making disciples is part of our very definition of being a disciple. And I want to spend all this time talking about why we have to go and make disciples. Even, or, um, even though it should be very convicting to all of us. But I, um, I'm sorry, what I do want to do is spend some time on why, not just the, the, why scripture, or the fact that scripture tells us to. And why we disciple, okay, apart from the fact that we're called to it, is because it's the most effective way to share the gospel to the lost and hurting. When you disciple someone, you are leading them through God's word and your experiences uh, to further trust and follow God in their own relationship with God. You're investing in a person or a group of people, training them up in God's truth, leading them to obey those truths in their lives, and in return, they will go out and they will do the same for others. Author uh, Author and pastor Robbie Gallaty explains it this way. He writes this. He says, discipleship is effective because it empowers believers to shoulder the work of ministry. Every individual in a discipleship ministry has another person they are working with. Disciples, many for the first time, are equipped to take responsibility for their faith and ownership for for their God-given ministries. We are here because the first disciple took Jesus at his word. They made Jesus' last words, the Great Commission, their first work. What what would happen if we did the same? I believe we would rediscover what it means to be a New Testament church. Discipleship is empowerment. It's helping believers take ownership of their own faith, helping them to abide in God's truths in their own lives, and to live that out in their own areas of life and in their own areas of influence. And it's such a beautiful thing because it's doing this together as a body. It's, it's, It's a fellowship rather than trying to do this on their own. And it's such a great picture of the church. And if you look at Jesus and his disciples, this is exactly what Jesus was doing with them in their own lives. He was investing in them in a personal way, caring for them as dearly loved children of God. He was training them up in God's truth. He was challenging them to walk forward in their faith, uh, boldly following God wherever they were led. And at the very end of his time here on earth, Jesus told them to go and do the same with others. And they did. And after this, the New Testament church movement, the, the, the world was never the same again. A part of this is the power of multiplication instead of just the power of addition, right? I believe Jesus, uh, Jesus' 
sorry, Jesus established a ministry of multiplication that we're called to follow. I want to explain what that means. Now, if we just lead people to Christ, that's one thing. You're, you're adding one by one, right? And that's great. We are called to do that. But I want just to give you an example here. You've probably heard this example before. Um, but I just want you to look at these two options and decide which one you would take, okay? I'll, leave, I'll give you one of two things. A million dollars for a day for 30 days or a dollar a day doubled for 30 days. Okay, so you can have a million dollars each day for 30 days, or I'll give you a buck, and we'll, multiply, we'll double that each day for 30 days. R- raise your hand. Who would take the 30, 30, uh, million dollars for 30 days? Nobody. You guys are smart. Okay, maybe one. Who would take the dollar doubled for 30 days? All right, so if you do that, a million dollars for 30 days is 30 million, right? Pretty straightforward. It's a lot of money, but a dollar a day doubled for 30 days is roughly $2.1 billion or 725 or 24 times more than 30 million dollars. Okay, it's insane, right? It's a significant or this is the power and the significance of multiplication, right? It might start off small and seemingly insignificant, but after a while it gets so big and powerful that nothing can stop it. It's like the snowball effect, right? It just starts off small, it keeps doubling, doubling, doubling until it's huge. And this multiplication is the type of movement and strategy that Jesus started while he, while he was here on earth. And he's calling us as a church to follow that strategy. And guess what? We're all a part of it. Okay, this is what we're called to all be a part of. Because Jesus was all about creating a movement of multiplication. Okay, he, he invested a vast majority of his ministry into his 12 disciples. He spent two and a half years with most of them. He did this because he knew that if he made disciples out of them, that they would go and turn the world upside down. He knew if he made them a disciples who made disciples, then they would go and take the ministry that one person was doing, and it would just explode. There's a picture of that, kind of what that looks like. You know, one person goes out and makes five, and some of those go out and make three or four or five, and it just grows and grows and grows and grows. So if you guys see how this works and how the early church went from a handful of core leaders who were being persecuted and killed, by the way, to a church in about 300 years that basically took over um, the population of the world as the number one religion. And one now that spans across all uh, all of the globe and has affected the lives of billions of people throughout history. It's a ministry strategy where one disciple goes out and makes another disciple, who then goes out and makes another disciple, and who then goes out and makes other disciples. Okay, It's brilliant. It's like a pyramid scheme, but with discipleship. It's great. Okay? This is the kind of ministry that we're called to. We're called to go and make disciples who then go and make disciples who then go and make disciples. And before you know it, you have hundreds of thousands of people who will be rejoicing in heaven beside you uh, because you decided to jump onto the ministry strategy that Jesus uh, left behind. And that's what makes discipleship so exciting, guys. That's it, what makes it so exciting because the ripple effect is amazing. Okay, and we never know how God is going to use discipleship to impact the world. Okay, we don't, we don't know the people that we reach out, who then they're going to go and reach out, okay? You think of all the big evangelists that have, have led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. Someone discipled them. Okay, someone chose to invest in them, to teach them about Christ. And there's some amazing stories about how some of those took place, Okay. So we, but we don't always know how God's going to use it. But what we do know is that if we're called, that we know that we are called to be a part of it, each and every one of us. 
All right, so when I talk about making biblical habits in our lives, I believe that each and every one of us should realize this great purpose that we each have been given to go and make disciples because it's through this type of ministry strategy that God has shaped the world. And it's through this strategy that I believe he is calling us to continue to shape the world. And it isn't just about the numbers, okay? It's not just about getting these mass numbers, right? But those numbers represent men, women, and children who have come to know their Lord Jesus Christ personally. Those who have accepted his love and grace into their lives. Those who have been trans- transformed for all of eternity and who have been given freedom because they have accepted Christ to come and live inside of them. It's an amazing thing to be a part of. Matthew 5 says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We've been given a mission, a purpose, to take the light of the world out to others who are shadowed in darkness. People who will never know that light unless we bring it to them. And the most effective way for this to happen is that if we realize that, number one, this isn't a suggestion from God. It's a command. Number two, we're not called to do it on our own. He doesn't just send us off by ourselves. And three, that Jesus already paved the way for this to take place in our world. Okay, he has done the work. He has given us our marching orders with a winning strategy. We just have have to, no, we get to be a part of it as disciples who are making disciples. So this is what I want to encourage you with today. First of all, I want you to begin to live your lives as a disciple of Jesus, following him in your life and abiding in his truths. Guys, I promise you it'll lead you to the best possible existence that you can have. If you don't know what it means to fully follow him and abide in him, I I want you to talk to someone about that. We've got tons of people here. You can come talk to me. There's lots of people here that would love to talk to you you about that. None of us are perfect, but we're all walking through this together, and we're called to walk through it together um, and and, and to to encourage one another through that. Um, The second thing I want you to do is this, is I want you to, to realize that as disciples, you were absolutely created for the purpose of going and making other disciples. Realize that that's what the God of the universe created you for. Be in prayer about people in your life that you can pour into and help lead them into a discipleship relationship with their Savior. I promise you, it's one of the most rewarding things that, you'll, that you will ever be a part of in your life. And I, guys, I wanted to share one of those stories with you tonight. I had someone that discipled me, multiple people, and they, they discipled plenty of others. But I got to experience, I've gotten to experience that in, in my own life many times where I've discipled someone and then I've watched them go and disciple others. Guys, and I promise you, it's one of the most rewarding things you can be a part of. When I was in a, a church in Colorado, there's a, a kid named Nolan. And Nolan came from a pretty, a pretty rough house. I, I, I talked to, about him in, in here before a few times. But, but Nolan, um, he had good parents, supportive and whatnot, but they didn't experience you know, share the gospel with him. They didn't really um, ever show him what that meant. Uh, it was a broken home a little bit. Like his parents had been divorced, and he really didn't get to see half of his family much of the time. And it kind of left Nolan a little jaded about life and about relationships and about love. But I got to start pouring into Nolan. I got to do, it's, it's funny how it all started. Um, he started coming to youth group, and he had some other friends that had went, and his older brother had gone. 
Um, and one of the first things we started doing where I really just got to disciple him is we'd play chess. It sounds dumb, right? Yeah, nerd. I know. But he would come into my office and, and we would play chess. Now, Nolan was an insanely smart kid. Okay, his senior year, he took, um, he got a 35 on his ACT. Okay, That's almost perfect score, right? Um, and and uh, he, you know, no one would come in and we'd play chess and we'd sit there for hours and play chess and we'd talk about chess and stuff. And then, then pretty soon Nolan just started coming over to our house all the time. And Nolan helped me finish my basement. I taught him how to drywall and do all these things. And, and he was just always over our house and always hanging out with us. And, and um, it just through this relationship, we, we talked theology and all sorts of things all the time. And I just got to pour into Nolan and disciple him and um, just ex- share that love that I had for Christ and, and for God with him. And um, Nolan eventually got accepted into the Air Force Academy, went off to the Air Force Academy, which is a very pre- prestigious thing. And before he left, he wrote me a note, just explaining a really long note. He was never short-winded about anything, but a really long note about how um, just me living life and pouring into him like that has changed his life. It re- it's redefined things for him in his life. And he went off to the Air Force Academy and um, the first year, bam, he started ministering to people. And then as he got older, he would take underclassmen under his wing, which, by the way, you're not supposed to do that at the Air Force, Air Force Academy, but he would do it because he felt God calling him to do it, and he would disciple them, and he would pour into them, and he would invest in them. And, and I just got to watch that impact of that. I got to have on one individual go into a, a school with all these really influential leaders, and I watched him just expand that out to all these people to, to start discipling all these other people. And who knows those people who he discipled, what, how, where they went out. I don't have the, the blessing of knowing where, everywhere that they've gone out and ministered, but I have seen Nolan in action, and it's an amazing thing. Okay, And I, I've been so blessed by that, just to watch this ministry of multiplication in, in action. And I guess I could tell you so many other, other stories of how I've gotten to experience this, the blessing of discipleship. But what I do know is that we're created for this purpose. Okay, we are, we are privileged to get to be a part of the work that God is doing here on earth. A work that has been going on in this way for over 2,000 years now. And it's 100% worth it every single time. It's 100% worth it. And God just, he blesses us because we get to watch it happen. We get to see these stories and experience these life-changing stories that are taking place. So I think that as Christians, we need to make discipleship so common in our lives that it's almost a habit. Okay, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of what defines us. When, when people see us and they see our lives, it's just a part of what they, what they associate with us as Christians. Oh, those are, the, those are the Christians. They're making disciples. That's what they do. Okay, because the way I look at Scripture, guys, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a habit. It's supposed to be a beautiful and intentional habit that will impact this world so greatly. So church, disciples, what do you say? I promise you that if we take this calling seriously, Rapid City, the Black Hills, and so far beyond will never be the same again. I promise you that. We see that it's happened all throughout history and we get to be a part of that. So let's become disciples who make disciples starting today because it's one of the purposes that we've been created for. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the blessing that we have just to be a part of this mission. Father, this blessing that we have just to get to share a love that's not our own, but that's yours. Father, that we get... 
front row seats to watch this love go and infiltrate hearts, to, to break down walls, and just to change people's lives, change people's eternities. Father, that's what you've called us to go and do. And Father, I, I've seen this firsthand. I know so many people here have as well. And Lord, I just pray that we understand that this is something that you have called us to do out of obedience. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And because the reward of that is so great. Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for every single one of us here. I thank you for that. We give you glory for that. But Father, that's not a message we're called to keep to ourselves. So Father, may we find people in our lives. May you just put people in our hearts right now. May your spirit just come and put people in our hearts right now that you want us to go in and pour into, that you want us to go in and, and disciple. And Father, may you give us the boldness to step forward and do that. May you give us the, the strategy of how to go and do that. And Father, may you just illuminate the blessing that that is. And Father, let's just start this ministry of multiplication right here at Rimrock Church downtown. Father, may we just, we just get this ball rolling and may that just snowball and all these people in, in the Black Hills just come to know Jesus for the first time and let them go out and experience the blessing of discipling others. That's, Father, I'm just so excited to see that take place. You've been doing that throughout all history and we get to be a part of that. So Father, we just pray, pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.